Well, as I said, today is, uh, the, well, it's actually tomorrow, but we're doing it today, sort of, is the feast of the presentation of the Lord in the temple, or the purification of Mary, or Candlemas. Take a pick, one of those names. And uh, as we did the psalm, for some reason, that psalm has stuck in my head, and I have no idea why, but it has stuck there. And as we did it, I remembered saying it 10 years ago, tomorrow, in St. George's Cathedral in Jerusalem, as we gathered to celebrate Candlemas. Now, for us in this country, it's not a really big deal, and we don't do a lot about it. In fact, a lot of churches won't even, Anglican churches, will do nothing about it. We'll probably just stick to the uh, Epiphany 4 readings, which we have for the Gospel. But for churches, Roman Catholic, Orthodox and Anglican and other churches around the world today or tomorrow is a big deal. Now, if we were to uh, have followed the, the Gospel reading for today that we should have heard, uh, you'd all immediately know that Mark was the wrong Gospel and that we really should have had the lesson from Luke because Luke would be the only one that could talk about Jesus being presented at the temple. And we know that because Mark and John don't have a Christmas story in it. So, And this is all part of the Christmas story. So it couldn't be in those two. And Matthew, the Holy Family, come from Bethlehem. So there's no travelling south. Uh, and the wise men uh, tip Herod off to the fact that a new king of the Jews has just been born in Bethlehem. So he sends his troops down to Bethlehem to kill all the children under the age of two. And they have to scarper off down to Egypt uh, and then return eventually after Herod's death to Nazareth, which is how Matthew deals with the born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth problem. Uh, and so there's no time in Matthew for Jesus to go anywhere near the temple. They go the other direction. So Luke is the only gospel writer because they just kind of cruise down to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Jesus is born and then after the required number of days they go back to Nazareth by Jerusalem and do all the things that are required by the Mosaic law. So the purification of Mary sounds a little archaic, doesn't it? But that's all about birth involves lots of blood. And blood is nephesh, or life. And life belongs to God. And anything involving blood, life, then has, because that belongs to God, then there have to be purification rights about it. You are involved in things that you should not be involved in. So you need to be purified. That stuff belongs to God. So that's what the purification of Mary is about. And Jesus is presented because he is the firstborn male. And all firstborn males, human and animal, are dedicated to the law. That is the law of Moses. So if we had the proper gospel reading for today, we would have had that reading. And that finishes with the song of Simeon, the Nathanimitus, which uh, in our prayer book is part of night prayer. So those of you that pray night prayer um, would, have, uh, would know exactly what that's all about. 
as I said, today is also the day when all the candles were blessed, and candles were important. Um, they were a means of lighting where you were, and that's important in the middle of winter. And Candlemas comes kind of at the point where the, the days are noticeably getting longer, which means the nights are getting shorter, and the need for candles is getting less. This is all in the Northern Hemisphere, the north of the Northern Hemisphere. And, uh, and so the hope of spring is in the air. You're not there yet, but you're on the way. You can feel it, you can notice it. And so it was a kind of important marking point in terms of the journey out of the depths of winter into the warmth of spring and summer. The candles too were thought to have important healing powers. And uh, in Ireland, for example, the stubs of the candles, so you, the stubs were used uh, as tokens, uh, means of healing people. And in Ireland, for example, the, a dying person would be given the stub, uh, the lit stub of one of these candles that were blessed on Candlemas uh, to hold as they died, so that the light of Christ would light their way into paradise, which is a lovely image. And uh, so you can see the importance of these candles. Well, for us, they're just functional things that we bring in and light now. We've kind of lost that sense of mystery about them. But I chose today not to have our reading from Luke. I chose to stick with Mark for a couple of reasons. Um, Mark is the gospel that we're going to spend a lot of time uh, listening to this year. We're also going to spend quite a bit of time listening to John because Mark's not that long, so there's an opportunity to sneak a whole lot of John in this year as well. But we are going to spend a big chunk of the year in Mark. And this morning's lesson, reading, kind of acts as an introduction to the whole Gospel. One of the problems with um, breaking up the Gospel as we do and just reading bits every Sunday is we kind of lose how the whole thing holds together. And this morning's reading really acts like an introduction. It introduces the main themes that Mark will then open up and explore for the rest of his Gospel. And those two themes are authority and liberation. Now in some ways authority has already been introduced in the baptism story, but this is the first time that others get to really engage with Jesus' authority. And their response is astonishment, and they say, well, he, his authority is different from the scribes. So there's also the beginnings there of the confrontation with the authority figures that will culminate in his crucifixion. Now we often, uh, sometimes, the two words here are translated as amazed. They were amazed, and then later on, they're amazed. And we could think that they kind of mean the same thing. But this first time, the Greek word used there kind of is multi-layered. And while it has the sense of, this is a good thing, if you like sliced bread, like this is the best thing, sliced bread, good thing. I was told after 8 o'clock that not everyone likes sliced bread, and so they don't relate to that. But anyway. If, if you like sliced bread, it's the best thing since sliced bread. But it's also the kind of amazement if, when you kind of encounter something and you go, man, I am amazed by that, that you even had the cheek to say that. 
So one of our Christmas emails we got from some friends, I read through it and I got to the end of it and I went, I am amazed and I'm going to have to think seriously about whether I ever read any of your emails ever again. There wasn't anything in that email that I'm remotely related to. So there is that kind of sense of amazement in this first astonishment. There were those who thought Jesus was great, but there's, a, there's also a number who, who are really unsure about what Jesus is teaching. It kind of covers both and everything in the middle. Every way you can even possibly trans- think about what amazed means, it's in that Greek word. The second time when they're amazed after Jesus heals, it's just, whoa, that was amazing. That kind of amazed. That was good. So that's the authority, which people, t- to start off with, some are really into it, some are not sure. The liberation theme is introduced through the story of a man possessed by an unclean, unclean spirit being healed. Unlike the people, some of whom are up for it and others who are not so much up for Jesus, the unclean spirit immediately recognises Jesus' authority. And is not happy. This unclean spirit knows that Jesus' authority is all bad news. And he or she is forced to obey and to leave the man. So this story sets up Jesus as the one with authority to teach. And authority to liberate and to heal. Jesus liberates this man from the unclean spirit. And the good news is that unlike other healers and exorcists of his time, Jesus doesn't charge. His services are free. Now this story is a hard one for many of us. Exorcism isn't part of our life experience. We don't often, as far as we know, encounter unclean spirits. And so it's often hard for us to know how to engage with this story and how to make sense of it. And we often try to make sense of it in terms of 20th and 21st century worldview. We try to work out how we might explain what was going on from our point of view so that we can get to the facts and make sure that we understand what was going on. The trouble is, well, it's that thing that I talked about last week, that somewhere in the Enlightenment... um, Factual accuracy equaled truth, or truth became factual accuracy. And up to that point, truth didn't mean factual accuracy at all. There were a whole lot of different categories of truth, and while factual accuracy was one of them, it was just one of them. And one of the problems of the last 300 years was that truth became factually accurate. End of story. But Mark didn't operate in that kind of world. And the kind of truth he's operating here is a completely different kind of truth. And the truth that he is trying to get us to grapple with is that Jesus is the one who has authority even to cast out demons. He is the one with authority to teach. He is the one to cast out demons. He is the one who has authority to heal. Ultimate authority rests in Jesus. Did it happen exactly this way? Mark would go, who cares? The truth is, Jesus is the one with authority. That's what you have to get your head around. But still, how do we engage with the story? 
I use a number of online uh, commentaries, and that's the other reason we went from the Mark Gospel this week, because they're all Protestant, and none of them, none of them are talking about the Candlemas reading, so I went with where my sources are going to take me. And uh, because they're online, they can be updated all the time, and so this one, um, one of them said, I've just read this article, and I think it's a good way of getting into the story, and I had read that article the night before online. The article is, the likely cause of addiction has been discovered, and it is not what you think, by Johan Hari. And I've posted that article on the parish Facebook page if you're interested. So I thought we'd explore that article and see what it might have to say about this gospel story in particular and Mark's gospel in general. Hari suggests that we have been misled about the causes of addiction and that we need a new approach. He suggests that much of our understanding of addiction comes from experiments from rats in, I'm guessing, the 1950s or 60s. And the experiments went this way. They put a rat in a cage on its own and then they gave them two bottles, one with water and one with water laced with heroin. And in nearly every case, the, the rats sampled both the bottles and then stuck with the bottle laced with heroin. And so out of that has come an understanding that uh, drugs like heroin have hooks in them and those hooks change the biochemistry of our brain to then make us think that we need that drug and so that we keep consuming it until it kills us. So that's the kind of standard understanding about how addiction works. And a lot of our treatment programs and a lot of our drug pre prevention strategies are based on that premise. Well, in the 1970s, a Canadian researcher, a guy called Professor Alexander, kind of had a look at those experiments and he said, you know, scientific experiments are supposed to kind of remove all the variables except one, so they control them, and then you kind of explore that one variable. But he said, everyone has assumed that the cage is controlled, i.e. that it has no role in the outcome of this experiment. But what happens if we change the cage? So he repeated the experiment. This time, he built a big rat park full of mazes and wheels and all kinds of things for rats to do. And he put other rats in the cage. And this time, the rats went to the bottles, they sampled both of them, and they said, thank you very much, we'll stick to the water. That's good enough for us. Well, he thought, that's interesting. But, people said, clearly those rats have not drunk enough of the heroin-laced water to be hooked. So, so he said, okay, fair enough, that's a good, that's a good criticism, we'll, we'll try a different experiment. This time... He put the rats in the cages on their own again for 51 days with the two bottles and they did as they did before, just drank the heroin laced water for 51 days and he said, they're not hooked by now, they never will be. And then he put them back in the rat park with the other rats and nearly every single one of them stopped using the heroin laced water and went back to the other water. Because life was so good in the rat park they didn't need the heroin. Okay. 
So, well, that's rats, and rats are different from people anyway, aren't they? So our brains are much more complicated, and those hooks work with us, even if they don't work on the rats. Well, that's a fair criticism. So he looked around for some kind of occasion which might kind of act as an experiment like that, and he came up with the Vietnam War. Now, during the Vietnam War, a significant percentage of American servicemen used drugs, and a significant percentage of those were addicted to those drugs. Their cage was horrific, and they used drugs to cope with the environment that they had been placed in and to survive the day-by-day horror of where they were. And because of the understanding that these drugs changed the biochemistry of our brain, the fear was that when they came home, America would be inundated by drug addicts. The reality is, according to Hari, 95% of those addicted servicemen, when they came home, stopped using drugs. Now, some of them went to rehab, but most of them just stopped. The cage changed. They no longer needed the drugs. Well, that's quite different, isn't it? Hari says that Professor Alexander argues that this discovery is a profound challenge to our understanding of addiction. He suggests that it's not a disease taking place in a chemically hijacked brain. In fact, he argues it's an adaptation. In other words, it's not you, it's your cage. When the cage is too bad, you will use drugs to survive. Well, if we're to apply this then to the gospel reading we just heard, the commentator I read said, one of the ways to understand what Jesus is doing here in Mark is that Jesus is changing the cage. The man was in one cage. He was addicted to the unclean spirit. The cage gets changed. He no longer needs the unclean spirit. He is restored to his family and his community and his need for the unclean spirit is gone. That kind of fits with what Jesus says, which is, I can get rid of the the demons, the unclean spirits, but unless you, you kind of change, then all I'm going to do is clean up the house and more are going to come back because your cage hasn't changed, is another way of putting that. You need to change your cage or you'll just go back to the addictions you had in the past. But Hari goes on and suggests that there is more at play here than just our cages. And we can see it in this morning's reading as well. He goes on to use the work of Professor Peter Kahn, who argues that human beings have a deep need to bond and to form connections. And he says those connections are how we get our satisfaction in life. And that if we can't connect with each other, well, we'll connect with anything we can find. Drugs. Gambling. Pornography. Whatever kind of gives us that sense of satisfaction. 
He says addiction isn't about hooks and brain chemistry, but an unfulfilled human longing to bond meaningfully with others. Khan suggests that we should stop talking about addiction altogether and instead talk about bonding. He says a heroin addict is bonded with heroin because she couldn't bond fully with anything else. And so in this understanding of addiction, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is human connection, people connecting with each other. Hari goes on to say, this is relevant to all of us because it forces us to think differently about ourselves. Human beings are bonding animals. We need to connect and to love. The wisest sentence of the 20th century was E.M. Forster's only connect. But we have created an environment and a culture that cuts us off from connection. The rise of addiction is a symptom of a deeper sickness in the way we live, constantly directing our gaze towards the shiny object we should buy, rather than the human beings all around us. We need now to talk about social recovery, how we all recover together from the sickness of isolation that is sinking on us like a thick fog. So, this commentator says, this article offers us a way of understanding the liberation offered in Mark. Liberation at one level from cages, at another level from the isolation from from each other. We are liberated by Jesus from the cages that isolate us from each other. Now, an important part of this liberation is that Jesus is not only liberating from, but also liberating to. Jesus was liberating people from the cages that isolated them to a new way of building community. A way of building community that was built on God's mercy and justice. A way of building community that allowed new connections to be made. So over the rest of the year I invite us all to keep an eye out for the way that Jesus will challenge all the evil forces that separate and isolate people. We've started today with possession by unclean spirits. But he will also talk about the economic systems that trapped people in poverty or trapped people in extraordinarily extraordinary wealth, both of whom were isolated. We'll see Jesus having authority over religious systems that divided people into who was in and who was out, and working to ensure that the barriers between people were maintained, ensuring that people remained isolated from each other. And he also will address the social systems, the family honour system, that made real connections within families and between families so much harder because their focus on life was not connection, but maintaining their family's honour. So over the next few months, I invite you to listen for each of these, and I invite you to reflect, to ask yourself, how has Christ the light, how Christ the light helps us recognize the unhealthy cages we each live in and are being liberated from 
and to return to the candle stubs given to the dying in Ireland, to ask where Christ's delight is inviting us into. What is our paradise now? What are the new forms of community that will allow us and others to bond well, to be communities that give life rather than force isolation? What are we being invited to? What are we being invited to see this year? So I invite you to think about that for a moment. If you want to, you can talk to your neighbour. And then we will do something different for the creed. So, you can have a conversation or sit and think about that for a moment or two.